Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't a regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk, yeah. What up? Welcome to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Very, very excited for today's session. Um, without further ado, let's just get into it. Mr. Scott Wayne on the program. What's up, Scott? How are you, sir? Not bad at all. Thanks, Herb. How are you doing? Doing great, dude. Super excited for this uh, opportunity to chat with you. Obviously, we've uh, connected on LinkedIn and, um, you know, uh, I think you commented on one of my posts or or something like that, or we were on 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 somebody else's post or something, but decided to have a conversation, man. And I'm excited to to be here with you today. Yeah, absolutely. I've been I've been seeing some of your stuff online for a while, um, and I, I I've been making an effort myself to engage a little bit more on LinkedIn, and, and that's kind of where we connected. And I'm always looking forward to conversations with uh, like minded auto folks. So happy to be here. The, the uh, you know the honor the honor is uh, great I'm grateful for the honor thank you yeah man no this is gonna be awesome um, so I kick things off with a with a background so tell us a little bit yeah. about you man uh, car guy uh, by uh, fluke back in 2002 <laughs> uh, went to school to be a firefighter and uh, you know not a lot of fire departments are looking to hire 20 year olds out of school. So I was stuck looking for a, a gig and complaining to my buddies that I needed a ride and, and I couldn't afford a car. And one of my buddies just happened to say, hey, you know, if you sell cars, I'll give you a demo. I kind of laughed it off, shrugged it off. And then uh, magically, I seen an ad in, in the newspaper, if you can believe that, when, uh, when we, we took out ads in, in papers for uh, the classifieds. and Old school, got, man. Yeah, kicking it old school. So got a got a job at a Ford store to start selling used cars. Unfortunately, uh, they don't give rookies demos out of the gate, and uh, I was a little disappointed. But I asked them what what could I do to get myself a demo. They said we sell ten used cars this month, and uh, we'll get you a demo. So I grinded out, put up eleven stickers on the board, two peeled, right on. Two of them peeled down, weren't financed. They didn't give me my demo. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was heart wrenching. It uh, it crushed me. But I, I I rallied. They said, okay, what do you you know you do the same thing this month? We'll give you a demo. So month two, I think I put like thirteen deals. I lost four of them. I delivered nine again. No demo. So I was rattled to say the least. Just uh, happened to hear that uh, a, a, from a buddy of mine who was trying to be recruited to to sell Hondas. But he'd been selling Ford for a long, long time, and uh, he just wasn't going to leave his client base. He didn't want to go import from domestic, so I, he made the intro, and, and I, I landed a gig at a Honda store, and uh, the rest was history. Great, great store, incredible group, training at the forefront of everything they do. So I was very fortunate to land in a store where uh, they provided really good training. They really invest in their people. Um Lots of growth from within. Many of my buddies I was slinging with back in, in those days are, are dealers themselves now. Uh, I took a bit of a different path in 2008. I, I left the retail biz to start a software company. My, my dealer at the time took my letter of resignation. He tucked it under his keyboard. He said, Scotty, I'm going to pretend that you didn't give me this. 
you got a great idea, but you guys are going to run out of money real quick. He goes, you're going to run out of capital in six months. I didn't listen. And of course he was bang on. We ran out of money in six months and now I'm on the outside of the car biz looking in and scratching my head going, what am I going to do with my life? So I spent a couple of years being a financial advisor. Nonetheless, the, the car biz called me back in 2013 on the vendor side. Um, my, my mentor from when I first got hired, started a company called Shift Marketing Studio. Uh, he sold the company in 2017. I was a general manager of, of the company at the time. And uh, in 2019, the new ownership just going in a different direction and, and sort of steered me into the training game. So now I'm, I'm doing some in-store training and, and we've just launched a new company called the Mark Academy, which is uh, equipping salespeople with a, a pretty unique training tool um, right in their pocket, right from their phone. So we're excited about uh, hitting the ground running there. Awesome, man. Definitely a trajectory there for sure. Um, <clears throat> something that, that kind of caught my ear and I wanted to develop it was you talked about you transitioned from that Ford store to a Honda store and it seemed that um, the training aspect of it was something that you appreciated. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that's kind of a rarity in the car business. Uh, you know, sad to say, even now in 2020, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the, the Ford store, virtually no training at all, you know, other than listening to some of the old vets and, and some of the lines they might use and, um, but, but virtually no training other than the OEM sort of, you know, online stuff. But when it came to the Honda store, yeah, the sales process training was, was a big, big part of, of their, um, development of all their people. So we would have some in-store training. Our instructor would come in. The guy is a legend. His name's Peter Hubbard. Um, Love the guy. He's incredible at what he does. He's an ex-dealer, been a national, international trainer for that matter for, for many, many years. And uh, so we would see him in our store once a month. And then we'd go off-site for a half day once a month. And then ultimately lean on our managers to hold us accountable to that process um, when, we're, when we're not being trained by, by the trainer. So, okay. Every time I think about training, there's there's this uh, this thought that comes to my mind because I don't think we do a lot of that. And I don't know, maybe this isn't considered training. Maybe this is something else, but um, role-playing within the car business. And I've talked about that in, in, in several episodes, but I feel like there's this expectation of, of um, greatness, right? Like the decision makers within the stores expect – their people to be hitting home runs all the time, yeah. but there is no, there is no practicing. It's like, it's like expecting a a professional uh, sports team to go out there on game day and perform at these incredibly high levels, and they spend zero hours on the court practicing beforehand. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Right. So, um, what is your take on that, man? Just overall in, 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 in the automotive industry from your experience and now that you're on the vendor side of things. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a great question. I don't know if I have the, the, the perfect answer. Um, you know, maybe I'll start with I, some of the challenges I see in, in why it's not consistent or maybe why it's not something that is that is at the forefront of every store. There are so many things going on 
inside of a store at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And the managers wear multiple hats and they're getting hit with everything at multiple angles at any given time being pulled in 15 different directions. But oftentimes they're the ones who are expected to be the ones delivering the training. But when you've got, when you're appraising cars and you're desking deals and you've got an upset customer and you know, you're, you know, you've got staff lined up outside of your office. Like when do you train? When do you have, no, but that can't, I'm sorry, man, I have to interject there because that can't be the, the thought, right? Otherwise we'll, we're just going to be complacent with mediocrity within the, within the industry. Like maybe, maybe it shouldn't be the GM's uh, role. Maybe there should be a different role within each dealership that's focused on training and development of the people. Because listen, if we want great people and we want amazing employees and we want to reduce turnover and we want to get rid of the stigma, we have to change, man. We can't yeah. keep doing the same stuff and expecting this to just, you know, one day just go, just everything to go away and be perfect. It doesn't work no. that way. No, you're you're right. And now, and so, but then there is the other side again. Fortunately for for you know where I grew up in the biz, where training was a priority, it was outsourced. Right. I, I'm a baseball guy. You can see I've got a few hats behind me. I, I'm wearing a Jays hat here now. Um, you know, it's. The analogy I've often used to, to kind of bring thought home is think of a, a manager on a ball team. Okay. The, the, the manager, he's not the strength and conditioning coach. He's not the hitting coach. He's not the pitching coach. He's not the nutritionist, right? Like they have a sports psychologist. He doesn't do it all. So for us in the carb is to expect a GM or, or their man or the, you know, GSM to be everything doesn't make sense. You know, mm-hmm. you, you've got to rely on some support. And in some cases, if it's outside support, then then that's going to be the answer, right? And, and reaching out to, you know, a trainer who can come on site, you know, or, you know, some sort of tool that they can access online or from their phones. But yeah, the training, it, it has to be part of the mix. It has to be. And, and, and it's unfortunately, it's not a large enough priority for a lot of stores out there. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I think, well, I don't know if priority is the word, but I think that a lot of decision makers re- decision makers realize the value and the importance of it. I think that it gets in this place where it's like, well, you know, you pay this person to come here, they train the people, everybody's good for a week, and then this person goes away and everything goes back to, you know, we just revert to the old uh, you know, our comfort, right? Whatever we did in the past that we were comfortable with. And yeah. so there isn't that that consistent repetition, which is why it's hard to have um, outside sources come in and train your folks. And I'm not gonna I'm not saying that it doesn't work. There are companies out there and, and, and specific trainers that have a system and they they do a phenomenal job and they, you know, but for the most part, I think that when it when it when it goes internal, when it's done internally within the dealership, I think that it's a lot more effective. And to your point, what you said earlier, when it's the managers that are trained, because the turnover is so much that if you you can train a whole, um, you know, uh, what am I called? You know, you can train your whole sales staff, and and by you know month end, it's fifty percent of those people are gone, right? And what goes with them? That training that you spend thousands and thousands of dollars, right? So, um, I mean, do you think that that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, it's, it's not that we don't recognize it within the industry and is, is that we don't really have a process for training that makes sense. Yeah. And you know, I, I, 
I agree with you. You're right. It, it's not as though the GMs and the dealers don't see or understand that there's value and importance in training. Cause, cause you're right. They do. They do. But it's, is, is there a solution that's a fit that works for them in their store based on time, energy, and resources. So, and, and, you know, so I do some in-store training and, and it is, I'll agree with you. The challenge is real. I'll go in once a month and I'll have often the same conversation with the same rep that I had last month. Right. Because when I leave, yeah, right. Like you said, it, it, they're, they're hot and heavy. And then I can even remember back when we would go and do our half day sessions I'd come back after my, my, you know, three hour session and I would, I would sell a car pretty much every single time I'd be fired up. The juices would be flowing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fresh with, with the information that I was just given. And oftentimes it's a refresher of some stuff that I already knew, but I had forgotten and maybe slipped through the cracks and I'd come back and I'd sell a car and, you know, which was fantastic, but you're right. After a few days, maybe a week, getting closer towards month end, you know, your, your retention of, of whatever the subject matter was kind of drops off. But for me, you talked about role playing earlier and we were big on that. You know, we had a few colleagues, we would challenge each other when the times when we had some downtimes, we would role play so that we had our word tracks down, right. So that we, we could use them eloquently and we wouldn't seem like we're trying to just use a line on somebody but we would we would eventually try to get each other, you know, we try to stump each other, and we would just rehearse and repeat, rehearse and repeat, and and I think that's where you know we were able to have some success because we took it seriously. We we wanted to. That's the other piece too. Not everybody wants to be trained, right? Some people think they got it all figured out, and uh, and and that so that's that's part of the challenge I think too. I don't know, man. I think that. I mean, I I agree with everything you said, except that last part that not everybody wants to be trained. I think that we do. I think that in sales in particular, when it comes to role playing, it gets awkward and uncomfortable. It kind of goes against, I don't know, our own nature of, you know what I mean? It just feels weird. Yeah. But that's the thing, right? When you don't, when you don't know, and I think that's the biggest thing. I think as a salesperson, you're, you don't want to be exposed in front of your peers. Yeah. Like, I'm going to get a question or I'm going to get something that I don't know how to overcome the objection or whatever. And, I, and people are going to look at me and they're going to think that I can't sell. Right. You know what I mean? And so that we, we kind of uh, um, get nervous in that sense. But I think that it's, that it's, dude, imagine if you did that every single day, man, you take 45 minutes before you hit the floor and you have a, a, a sales per, or a sales manager or, or somebody there that's, that's in charge of training or that third party a partnership or whatever that's there every single day and does that for for an hour and you just do it every day every day every day every day i think that number one you start to get a little bit more comfortable with the idea you'd probably start to get more into it mm -hmm. um, and then you start to see those those uh efforts pay dividends on the floor because if you're not training every day with your peers and you're not role playing you're practicing with your customers you know what i'm saying yeah. And that's a very dangerous place to practice. So I don't know. I mean, do you agree with that? Or do you have any idea? I mean, does that make sense? Or is there something that you do that's different? Like, can, can you talk a little bit more about kind of like yeah, the, the sure. setup? Yeah. And, and pre you're right. Practicing with your with the customer can be dangerous. I mean, especially if you're a rookie 
right? Like rookies aren't going to, you know, they don't have the ability to, you know, and again, in this day and age, just, you know, I'll maybe, I'll maybe put a little precursor here. You know, it, we're, we're guilty of, of being charged of, of long drawn out sales process, right? It takes too long to buy a car. I spend half my day in the dealership to buy a car. So when I say slow the customer down, I don't, I don't say slow down as in we want to drag the process, process out as long as we can, but we have to be able to manage our process in a way that allows us to do our job, which is to build value in the brand, the product, and yourself and your store, right? But a rookie sometimes just gets steamrolled by a customer, and they're going to they end up dealing with more customers than the average veteran rep does. So they're burning through ups like 90, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, it's, it's absolutely dangerous. So, you know, the last almost a year now, we've been getting ready to build out and, and we've just launched our, our new tool, um, a company called the Mark Academy. And we're trying to fight against what you're saying there, which is giving reps the opportunity to take daily practice, right? So we've, we've developed a tool that will allow salespeople to practice on an ongoing basis daily, Right but utilizing some technology to deliver them the content in which they need the most help. So I always say, I don't want to teach you something that you already know, right? That's a good way to lose engagement in a hurry. Sure. Okay. But so what our tool does, the second you start engaging with the tool, it delivers a completely unique learning path to the, to the individual. And that as they engage, it's, it's identifying what their knowledge gaps are. So that the content that they're going to get is going to help them sharpen their own acts. And, and just, it's that daily repetition, right? You're taking reps on an ongoing basis. Um, and we only ask just a few minutes a day. It's, it's obviously self-directed and on demand um, so that you can, you can do a deeper dive if you need to. Um, but essentially we, we, we ask that they spend a few minutes a day taking what we call a mastery moment. Uh, which gives them access to the the sales process and the content uh, within our curriculum, and we'll, we'll hopefully allow them to sharpen their individual acts based on where they need it most. How do we? How do we? And, and not just technologically speaking, just in general, you know, for any any decision makers or, or particular sales managers that are tuning in, how do we identify those those weak areas with within our team? To your point earlier, right? Because you're busy, you're going a hundred miles per hour, and it's very easy for you at the end of the month to be like, "Okay, John, you're you're fired," because it's your third month in a row you haven't sold a single car. Mm-hmm. But maybe John would have been an amazing salesperson if we would have been able to adjust and correct. Because that's ultimately what we need to do, right? We need to adjust and correct. Because yeah. especially if they don't know, you know what I mean. You can't if they don't know, and they're just thrown out there to, you know, make it happen, which is often the case. Um, we're not really giving them the opportunity to to really shine. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. any any ideas on on how to do that effectively? Yeah, I think a, I think a big I think a big part of that is as a manager, you got to get out of your chair, right? You got to get up. You got to get out of your chair. You got to be in the showroom. You got to be walking around. You got to be listening, right? And and I think I think a big a big piece that maybe is a bit easier said than done, right? It, it, it's maybe a bit easier said than done. Um, but these are often people challenges and, and we can't just simply introduce a process to fix a people problem when it comes mm-hmm. to culture, right? 
how many people do you know in this business who are afraid to put up their hand to say, I don't know. I made a mistake. I need some help. Right. Yeah. Most of us are fearful. We're scared for our life to make any admission of any of those things at risk of getting our asses handed to us and getting packed out the door. So as a leader, you know, I always say, uh, and I'm going to steal this. This is from a guy I follow named Simon Sinek. Um, so yeah. this, this isn't my own language by any means, but he says leaders aren't responsible for the results. Okay. Leaders are responsible for the people who are responsible for the, the results. So as a leader, and again, sometimes we get this title as a manager and we might've been the top dog. We, we used to crush the board every month and we, we sold 350, 400 cars a year. But those are the guys and gals who end up getting promoted to be a manager. But do we train them on how to be a leader? Right. And that's, and that's the question. Yeah. No, I love that. And to expand on that, so you mentioned Simon Sinek. I'll throw uh, David Taylor out there, who's the the CEO of Procter & Gamble. So he talks about, you know, as a leadership, your, your, your role, your job is to be able to help your people articulate their definition of success. Think about that. It's, that's mm-hmm. what your job is. And then get out of the way you know what I mean? And let them, you know, give them the tools within the organizations that you're working with so that they can accomplish that. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes in the car business, our definition of success is selling 40 cars a month or 50 cars a month or 100 cars a month, whatever that is. But that's not necessarily going to get going to get that person to be um, a good GSM or a good GM. Maybe the guy that sells 20 a month is going to be a much better GM because that's his that's that's his definition of success. Um, you know what I mean? And he's a natural born leader. And, and I think we oftentimes in this industry, we look at, at success as sales and then we promote these people and they're not really a, they're not, they're not a a leadership type of personality mentality mindset. And B, um, we just think that because they were good salespeople, they're going to be good at, at, um, you know, at managing and um, I don't know, man, it gets, it, it, that's, a, that, I think we don't have a, a clear way of, of fostering leadership within, yeah, it, within, our, within our dealerships. No, I agree. And, and that's, I think that's, you know, part of my mission these days is to, is to help do what I can for the stores that I work with to allow their managers to think more like leaders. And, and because what happens is they, they you know, again, they're, they're a salesperson. They climb the ranks and and they earn a spot on the management team. So they try to manage the results and they crack the whip. They, you know, they pull someone into their office. They go up one side and down the other. That's not an environment of, of growth. And, and, you know, like it, it like just, just, I mean, I'm a hockey guy too. I, I, I'm a sports fanatic. Um, you know, I use the analogy of squeezing the stick too tight, right? Like, if you're nervous about making a mistake and you're going out on the ice and you're trying to score goals and you're squeezing your stick too tight, it's just not going to work. You're too tense. You're too tight. You got to play loose. You got to play confident, right? How yeah. confident are you? How confident are you if you're fearful and if you're tense and you're tight? So, you know, the, the Saturday mornings, you know, I used to make those all about positivity and excitement, right? Not smashing and, and pounding people into the pavement because they didn't, hit their target last week or last month. Um, 
because it's, it's not it's not going to work. And you know, I've also coached minor sports for a number of years. And uh, you want to learn patience? Go go coach a, a six a team of six year olds on a ball diamond. Yeah, right. No, man, I'll, I'll pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> right? there's, a, there's a test of patience for you. And so, I mean, we got to be patient with our people too. And if, if, you know, you mentioned Jimmy over there who hasn't sold a car for a few months, you know, if we look in the mirror and we ask ourselves as the leader, did I do everything I possibly could to support him or her, whether it's Jimmy or Sally? Exactly. Because the last thing, the last thing you should do is fire people. That is the absolute last thing. You hired them. You saw something in them. You saw a potential. You saw something in them. Mm-hmm. That something is there. If you didn't foster that, if you don't develop that, if you don't don't turn that into, um, you know, the, the, the abilities and the skills necessary to succeed, that's on you, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, right. so you got um, it. Man. You nailed it. It's just it's it's it, it frustrates me sometimes to see um, the turnover to see because and here's why because you can this is this is an industry where you can make an awesome living. We were just talking about this before before we got on 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 recording here. You know, like I I'm I made a lot of money um, as a, a, a in, in my career, man. As a, a when I started out as as even even when I was um, writing service, you know what I mean, and so. The opportunities are there to make to make a good living. The opportunities are there to 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 learn and develop and get skills. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's a great industry to be in, and we shouldn't be in the situation where um, there's there's turnover and people are afraid to work at a dealership. And there's a stigma of oh, well, you know, I'm a car salesman. No, man. Like, there's so much more to this industry. Um, it just frustrates me sometimes that we 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 fail at 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 kind of projecting that image and that message out there. You know what I'm yeah, saying? We, we fail our people too all too often. Um, and, and it's, and it's, it's disappointing because it is such a great industry. And I think, yeah, like you said, before we got recording, we talked about, it doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, whether you, you know, gone to school, you got a shiny degree. It doesn't matter. You can make it in the biz. You can build a successful life for your family. You can, um, yeah. but it's difficult based on where you land and whether or not you're given enough of an opportunity to earn those stripes, and, and that's often what what happens is, is folks just aren't given that 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 chance. And you know, I look at hiring um, a, a little bit of you know, like you think think about your family. You have kids, yeah, yeah, uh, thirteen and a nine year old. Okay, so I got three boys, so almost three, just turned four, and going to be ten. And you can't fire your kids. Mm-hmm can't through that <laughs> right and you know we we after our first you know we we lost we lost a child you know and, and we didn't think we were going to have another kid we tried forever and we we it was a grind we didn't think it was going to happen so we started talking and looking about like adoption you know is that an option because we wanted to have a bigger family and you know we never went down that path because we ended up having two more boys and and we're grateful for for healthy children um but same idea when when you know, if you're going to go down that adoption path, you know, you don't say, I want a blue hair, you know, or a blue eyes, blonde hair, yay tall, right. right? There's no, there's no resume, right? But maybe you, you meet a foster kid, you get a feel for them, you, you see how, what their vibe is, you know, you think you can get along, like, 
You know, will they get along with your other kids? And you feel them out. Well, that's a job interview, right? And if you see something in that person and you find, you, you choose, you know, you adopt a child, right? You're not firing them if they don't do what you need them to do six months later, right? Like, you know, yeah. you do what you can to help that child learn what they need to learn to grow and to become a, you know, a contributing member to society. And I think that that mindset, if we committed ourselves to our people as if they were our own children, you know, our turnover would drop dramatically because we would genuinely put more effort in those individuals when they need it. Mm -hmm. But it's not just, it's the bigger impact, man. I think that, and, and I know that I'm generalizing, which I hate doing because there are some dealerships out there that do an incredible job. There really, really is. But, um, you know, in the context of this conversation, like it's not just the turnover and it's not just the stigma. It's the turnover and the, the compounding effect that that has. It impacts morale. It impacts your, your bottom line because it costs you so much money to have to, you know, burn through people, you know, train them and, and then lose them and then have to do that cycle all over again. Mm -hmm. And above all else, what a lot of people don't take into consideration when they're looking at this equation is a long-term impact. Because if you commit to that person, if you if you give that person, if you if you give them the, the tools necessary and you foster their growth, it's great for the organization. You know what I mean? Because now you can take that person and that person can, can start to contribute more and more and continue to add more and more value to the organization. And long term, I mean, let's just let's just focus on sales. Forget about the other departments. What does a veteran successful salesperson have that that no GM is, is going to want to lose? their book of business, right? Their customers. And if that person leaves, those a lot of those customers are leaving with them. You know what I mean? And so it's just, uh, you know, long-term, it just makes sense. It's a good business practice to to invest in firing people should be the absolute last possible thing. Uh, you know, like if there's um, ethical issues and things of that nature, well, I mean, th those are things that you can't fix. You can't yeah. retrain. You can't, I mean, that's just, just, that's just character. So that's got to go. But anything else, man, you can teach that person. You can you can foster their growth. You can help them achieve different things. And that's done through training and development. That's done through training and development. That's why the investment in that department needs to needs to go up considerably in Absolutely. the industry. Yeah. And you know, here's here's a little twist, and it's it's a bit of a mind boggler for me, and, and I imagine it'd be similar for you. Um, I posted a video on LinkedIn a little while ago, and and one of the crazy oxymorons of the car business is co-op funding and how much money the manufacturer invests in advertising and how little if any funding is provided for co-op to train their people it's backwards right we're going to spend millions of dollars to drive traffic to the stores to be managed by people who haven't been trained and are not equipped with the tools and resources to, to support their customers it's it's completely backwards it's backwards. Yeah, that's that's isn't, it, isn't that crazy? That makes a lot of sense, man. It's crazy. Yeah. It's not co-op, right? Like if a dealer wants to sign on with, with our company today, he can't submit the cost for co-op. But he could find some random marketing agency to, to whip together a campaign for him and they'll pay him. Yeah, right. and God forbid it's successful, and now you get a lot of people in the store and you you mismanage all that all that traffic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like that makes that wow, that makes a lot of sense, man. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, crazy piece, you know, that uh, 
I, I, I don't, I don't understand, you know, if, if we can help change that tide where the manufacturer would consider even just a portion of those, that ad spend, um, you know, may, maybe that helps. Maybe dealers are more willing to take a shot and, and to go out on a limb to bring in a, a third party to help train their people. Um, you know, if, if they're, if they have some support behind it. Yeah, I mean, it totally, it, it makes sense. If you break it down in that way, it really, really does. So, so, um, okay, so moving the conversation along, because I did want to talk with this, I, uh, excuse me, I can't talk. I wanted to talk about this specific um, um, kind of idea or concept with you, uh, since we're talking about training. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the current landscape, dude, COVID and, and everything, because, uh, you know, it's, it's weird for me, because I want to say post-COVID, but we're really not post-COVID yet. Um, but w- w- what do dealers need to be doing or how do they, how should they be looking at their business a little bit different when it comes to training, hiring in particular, and um, um, and letting people go too, man, at the same time? Yeah, I, I, think, I think dealers, they have to have their feet moving. They have to be active, right? Um, you know, there, there's, there's, and, and we can maybe shake it right back to, to the leadership conversation a little bit from earlier uh, is, is, you know, what else are you doing to equip your people, right? Like, like what tools and resources are you, you providing your, your managers um, to, to be a little different. Now there are some folks on LinkedIn these days, some car sales guys who are just absolutely killing it out there. You know, massive followings. They've got they've got their, their YouTube channel. Um, you know, they're they're posting content regularly. They're adding value to the community. You know, they're not hard selling. Oh, today we got this zero percent. Like it's it's not this you know promo promo promo. It's it's kind of building a little bit of a personal brand. And and I think if, if dealers could maybe you know take a little bit of a page out of the out of the real estate book. You know, your salespeople are essentially running their own business, right? You talk about that veteran who's got a massive book of business. Those are his customers, right? They're the dealership's customers, but they are, you know, if that person leaves the store, a lot of those customers will follow them. So if if salespeople took more of an active role in their own livelihood, instead of just staring out the door or waiting for that e-lead to pop through, and they got out in the community, find, find a cause that's important to you, right? Find something that resonates with you. Go into the community, be active in the community, coach a sports team, sit on a board, you know, participate in their community, get to know more people outside of your, your circle and, and just genuinely do good by people. And then eventually you're going to find new customers, right? Your, people are going to know, hey, this is this Scotty guy. He's a car guy, but doesn't seem like the stereotypical car guy. Right, like he's not wearing the plaid jacket. So, so you, th- so let me let me just break that down a little bit. So, um, you're talking about what I what I'm getting out of that is that um, the 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 individual is making the difference, right? So, in the in the in the current environment, you know, and obviously utilizing the platforms that are available to them, the distribution content distribution platforms like yeah. social media. Uh, they're making the difference. They're going out there. They're educating their communities. They're informing the, their communities. They're, they're reaching out to people. Uh, perhaps it's not, not just about what the dealership is doing in a COVID uh, type world, but um, 
you know, just promoting their, their themselves. Is that is that kind of like yeah, 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 personal brand, personal brand. You know, one thing I I used to do, um, I I made a newsletter every month, right? Microsoft Word. I type it out. You know, word search was in there. I had some jokes, some car care tips. I'd throw in a, I'd throw in a recipe. Um, you know, I, I remember this one time I was, uh, I was at the mall and I heard Scotty, Scott, Scott, Scott. And I look and it's a customer and, and she comes running across. She goes, Oh, your chicken tetrazzini was delicious. <laughs> and I, and I was laughing. Well, like it wasn't, I, I called it Scotty's chicken tetrazzini, but it was just a recipe off the internet. Right. But, you know, I, I did. And, and again, I think it was, it was one of my mentors who said, look, you've got to set yourself up for success to, to separate yourself from the competition. You've got to stand out from the pack. Right. And, and, and I, I still say this to, to lots of salespeople that I work with. It's, it's sad, but it's true. You don't have to do anything over the top spectacular unfortunately in this business to separate yourself from the competition. Yeah. I mean, that's what's crazy. And then you, the reason because the, the reason for that is because everybody's pretty much doing it the same way. So if you just tweak your approach and I've said this so many times on the show, if you just treat, tweak your approach, just a little bit, just a little bit, you do something that's different instead of text, you send a video or instead of, you know, you have a newsletter, you have something or your own website, yeah. Um, like those things, man, they, they're, they, they just, it just pops in customers' eyes because they'll go, they'll talk to, to X amount of dealerships and every single interaction is the same. And then they get something that's different and it's like a, a, a breath of fresh air. You know what I mean? That's it. Now, I think, I think that COVID has, or the COVID situation landscape has kind of accelerated that in a, in a certain way, because I, I feel that a lot of those things that we could have done as dealerships to differentiate ourselves now are common practice in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and so, but it's also created, um, it stimulates creativity, right? Because now we got to think of, okay, I can't, that everybody's doing that because now we're in a COVID time. What else can I do? So what else can I do? Right. And that's, I think that's really beautiful. I think that in two to five years from now, that's really gonna, gonna start to show, um, dividends for a lot of folks that are that are uh, that are under pressure, right? They're starting to look at their business a little bit different. They're starting to adjust their their processes because of that, because they need to create differentiation. Let me ask you this question: So you're you're in Vegas, I'm I'm in London, Ontario, so I'm in Canada. Um, digital retailing is a buzzword these days, right? You and and you know you've got some of these these online retailers that are that are making a bit of a dent in the marketplace, and and you know their valuations are skyrocketing. You know, it's digital retailing tools are available up here north of, of, of the border. Um, and, and, you know, some dealers think that that's just the way it's going to be. Guys are just going to fill their cart like they're on Amazon and they're going to buy it now and away they go. Um, I, I believe that the technology will allow us to accelerate the sales process to make it more convenient for the customer. But the customer... That's a big ask to click on a $50,000 ask to, to, on the click of a button for a lot of people. That's a big ask. So for us, I think if we can find a way to keep the human element involved with that digital sales process, dealers can differentiate themselves, right? Because Yeah, it, but I mean, we're looking at that whole thing and here's, you know, you know, rant alert. So here we go. 
Um, <laughs> I've talked about this so many times this season, but I just I got uh, every time I get an opportunity, I just can't stop. But so here we go, right? So everybody's focused on that idea of of you know buy online and all this stuff. Number one. We don't deliver a buy online experience for the most part. It's not like a Carvana thing that the, the car just shows up at your at your door. You know what I mean? The customer really what they want is they want to save time. They don't want to spend four freaking hours at your dealership. You know what I mean? And they don't want to get hand over from closer to the box to, you know what I mean? They, they just want a seamless experience. They want to go in. They want to pick the car that they like. They want to drive it. They want to purchase it and they want to go home. You know what I mean? That's it. Mm -hmm. I, and we have this idea of control and we got to slow the process and we got to keep the customer there and, and all these things. And it's just, it's just, it's, 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 it's enough. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. Like I instead of and here's the thing with digital retailing, like we talk, we tell the customer buy online and then we don't deliver on that experience. What does that do to the customer? It builds this trust. We're already screwed on the stigma part of the of the industry. And now what we're doing is we're amplifying that by telling the customer, oh, you can buy it online, but you got to come into the store and you got to go in the box and you got to test drive the car. And you, that's not buy online. You yeah. know what I mean? So stop calling it that. Better yet, say, start the process online. And every time the customer completes a step in the digital retailing path, reward them with time. Congratulations, Mr. Customer. You just saved 30 minutes. Congratulations, Mr. Customer. You just saved an hour. Congratulations, Mr. Customer. It'll be 25 minutes uh, uh, when you are at the store at yeah. the end of every single click. That's more of a realistic experience. And when the customer goes that, that online experience is going to mirror the in-house experience. And then that's going to, that's going to, validate um the consumer that's going to validate what you're doing but until we 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 get there um it's not going to be a seamless it's going to be friction and um i mean there's just it just doesn't fit that whole thing doesn't fit yet do you know do you know anyone out there who who's got it figured out yet I think some stores, so I, I work with a group in, in, in St. George, Utah, and they'll deliver the car 50, mi 50 miles within the dealership. And I think a lot of dealerships are doing that. But when the customer goes online, they can't really do, that's not, that ex that's not the experience. It's not a Carvana-esque experience. You know what I mean? Where they don't have to go into the brick and mortar and they can just wait for that car to arrive. Now, to your point, I'm, I'm going to be 40 in two years, right? And I talk to my to my age group all the time, and nobody ever says I'd buy that car online. Everybody wants to go to the dealership, and I think a lot of the reason for that is because we grew up going to the dealership with our parents, test driving the car. So that's kind of ingrained in how we purchase a vehicle. I would never spend any twenty, fifteen, fifty thousand. I would never spend that kind of money and never see the car. Now I can buy the car differently because I'm in the industry. I can text a friend or somebody or a client and be like, hey, I want this car. And I go in there and sign and drive and go. Why can't we make that experience like that for everybody? If that's really what they want, we can do it. We do it for friends. We do it for vendors. We do it for people that, that we have relationships with. Why can't we make that the, all the experience for everybody? That's really what the consumer wants. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, I, I don't understand. Now, our kids... I think our children will buy, will want to have that seamless, you know, click with the button, car shows up. If they're even going to be purchasing cars by, by that time, right? But you That's know what I mean. Conversation for another day. Yeah, so, um, yeah. It, it's a control. It's a control factor. I think. Hey, eh? like relinquishing that control. I mean, me. 
and, and you know, obviously I've referred back to LinkedIn a, a few a few times on, on our chat today, but um, I, I made a comment on a post the other day. I will pay more every single time to get in and out of there quickly. I will pay more. Like, I don't want to spend four hours negotiating to save myself a few hundred bucks. Like, I don't. Like, I got three kids. I'm working. I've got a wife, family. You know, I've got hobbies. You know, I'm busy. I Like, I'll give you an extra 300 bucks just to not deal with the pain and stress of wasting my Saturday afternoon. Well, before before I got into the industry, dude, and I think I bought maybe one or two cars where I had to wait four and five hours and, and I never had to do that ever again. But dude, it's frustrating as fuck, dude. It just it's a frustrating experience to be there all day waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. You know what I mean? And then when I when I when I was on the other side and I could buy it seamlessly and it was easy and quick and 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 it was just done. It was like Damn, man, like, why can't we offer this? We should be able to offer this to everybody. Can you imagine a dealership that does business like that? And listen, I know there's restrictions and all that. I get it. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, that, that there aren't. But man, if you could figure that out, like if you could just have it, you know, just take one step closer to that experience by having one person handle the whole thing. One person. He's your salesperson. He's your closer. He's your finance person. He delivers the vehicle. You have that one dude that does everything and that customer never sees anybody else and they don't feel like they're bouncing around from person to person to person. You know what I mean? Empower, like that of change would go a long way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Empower your people. Empower them. Empower yeah. them to make decisions. But again, because our managers aren't leaders in most cases, they're managing the results when that's not their job, right? They should be managing the people who are responsible for the results. And if we are able to empower our people, because there's, there's salespeople in the biz who have earned their stripes, who end up being just as you described, right? They, they do their own turnovers, right? They're, I mean, there's, there's far fewer of them than, than the majority of course, but there are, there are, there are, of course, even in, in Canada, some smaller stores, where you know the the GM is still a salesperson. I, I talked to a guy literally today in in rural British Columbia. You know he's the general manager, dealer of the store. He's got one salesperson, and he said we're the only two salespeople. He referred to himself as a salesperson. And and you know we're we're talking about training, and he's like, you know, we hold the line. We don't drop our pants around here, right? Like we hold the line. And guess what? Our CSI off the charts, mm -hmm. right? But they are empowered to manage the entire process from start to finish. And I hazard a guess, they get people in and out of there in a relatively efficient manner. Yeah, dude, it, it, it would. It would, automatically, uh, it would automatically cut time because you know you don't have to wait for that person. I mean, think about when you go into the box, you gotta wait for that guy. If you, especially if you have one person, you have five deals, and you're deal number four, forget about it. You're there all day. You know what I'm saying? So is it a surprise that Ali Rita is the number one salesperson in the world? Like this guy does everything. I mean, he has a team now because he sells so many freaking cars, but he does everything. He doesn't pass his customers out to anybody. He handles the whole thing. That's a different way of looking at the business. That's a different, if you want a true differentiator now in this landscape, look yeah. at doing business that way. I like you know it. What I'm I like so, it, man. Let's empower. Let's empower our people. Let's let's 
let's give them the tools that they need to, you know, and of course we got to relinquish control and it's easier said than done. It's easier said than done. And, and for anyone who who's vibing our conversation here today, um, and if you haven't read it, the infinite game, Simon Sinek, go pick it up. You know, I'm not endorsing it for any other reason because I'm a believer. No one's commissioning me to, to say anything there. Um, but it is a difficult journey to to switch your mindset from that finite game. Um, you know, we're 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 playing in an infinite game, but we're 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 playing with a finite mindset, and we're like no nobody actually wins at business, right? You don't win at marriage, right? You don't win at parenting, right? Mm-hmm. These are in, these are infinite plays, right? These are infinite plays. It's not like a hockey game where that buzzer sounds at the end of the third period and whoever had more goals wins, right? Business is an yeah. infinite game. Yeah, and 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 I love that. That's such a that's such an interesting concept and thought. But you know, the good news is is that you know the generations are changing, not just the consumer generation, but the leadership generation within the industry. And so now is the time to you know, for all the people that are going to be transitioning here in the next five to 10 years and kind of taking over the reins, you know, my challenge to all of you is to look at things differently. Look at the business different. Be brave enough to be bold and do things differently. It's going to pay off. It's going to pay off because we've been doing this deal the same way for so long that if you just tweak it, man, if you just change a little bit, you're going to stand out. It's going to be a different experience and, and customers are going to reward you for that because they don't like what, what we're delivering right now. They don't like the experience that we have now. No, no. Find, find a purpose that your people can get behind, a, a, you know, a just cause, so to speak, and, and just strive to get better every day just to improve because, you know, even though, and we call our competitors our competition, right? It's, it's very common for us to, you know, say, oh, that guy down the road, he's a competitor, he's a competition. If we think of them more of as a worthy rival, right? Because you can't win. The game doesn't end. It continues. Just because you sold more cars this month doesn't mean you won the game. It doesn't, right? So let's, let's think, think differently. Let's look at things, you know, through a different, uh, a different lens. And, and I agree, man. And if we can do that and we can put our people first, I think we're onto something. Yes, sir. All right, my friend. Well, listen, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me on this deal. Um, the pleasure is mine. Yeah, man. There, there is one question that I ask everybody, but before that, I want to give you three minutes to tell us about you, what's going on in your world. How can people get in touch with you? Um, you know, just, uh, let us know, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a am a, I'm a dad. I got three, three boys who keep me on my toes. Um, family guy. I, I grew up, uh, in London, Ontario. I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, we've been, we've been the best of buds for years. We, we actually stood next to each other in our, our grade four class picture. Uh, we had the same mushroom, we had the same mushroom bowl cut. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doing what I can to, to make an impact on this, this wonderful business that we call the Carbiz. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Scott Wayne, W-A-I-N is how you spell the last name. And, uh, you know, I'm always happy to chat with anybody who wants to talk shop. I love the biz. I think we can do better. And I think there's lots of us out there who know that. So if I can be part of the conversation to uh, – to help make a difference, then, you know, then I'm, uh, 
I'm feeling like at least I'm doing something right. Awesome, brother. Thanks again for doing this. Really, really appreciate it. All right. So there is one question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. And that question is, where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why? Where do I see the auto industry in the next five years and why? I see, I see the auto industry shaking things up dramatically. Uh, when you've got, you know, we talked about the carbon experience, you know, and, and depending on the demographic, not not everybody's ready to pull that $50,000 trigger on their keyboard, you know, but the generation behind us are, are more likely to do so. So I think if you are a small mom and pop shop, you have to do what you can to step outside your comfort zone to grow your business, to get yourself to a, a point where you've got enough volume where your your customer base can help sustain you. Otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna get gobbled up by a, a dealer group who who has large volume, who've got deep pockets, and and who are looking to grow their network. Um, and it, and it's gonna be it's gonna be survival of the fittest here. That the landscape is gonna look dramatically different. And, and unfortunately, I think there's going to be some folks who, who are no longer going to be playing in the game. And if we can, if we can shift our thinking, as we talked about earlier, and we can uh, put our people first and, and think, think within the rules of an infinite game, then we've got a good chance to, to, to rise to the top. I love that, dude. I love the thought of the infinite game. That's, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm really, yeah, dude, it's I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah. yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. All right. Well, dude, thanks again for doing this. Hey, really, thanks. really appreciate it. Hey, everybody, make sure to check out uh, Scott Wayne on LinkedIn. Connect with this guy. Um, lots of good information. Uh, that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks again for tuning in. And as usual, we'll talk later. We only host the well-respected. The vendor Lexus Nexus, we don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspected with our DT vendor management solutions. We come in like the EPA to clear out the pollution. Take the trash. Go keep your PL clean. Your inventory lean. From product pitches, meetings to cost negotiations, your vendors have you swamped. You have cars to sell. But most of your time goes in managing your vendor relationships. Wouldn't it help to have someone navigate the way ahead? Enter Dealer Talk Vendor Management Solutions. A filter between you and your vendor so you only have to deal with what's most important. We inspect your digital data to get optimum results for your money. Here's what we do. Give you an accurate idea of what's working and what's not for every digital service. Get vendors to submit monthly highlights, lowlights, and recommendations. Sift through their data to give you those metrics that matter. Evaluate all package, content, or cost changes and product pitches. Do monthly marketing budget analysis to ensure better ROIs. Finally, we give you concise reports and monthly videos with actionable insights. Now, you can focus on what really matters, selling cars. Contact us today and your first 30 days are free. Let's build your business together.